Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner Holman. What am I paying attention to today? Friendship. In my car, coming to the office today, I heard Celine Dion's Because You Loved Me. And I've always thought of that kind of as like a wedding song and as beautiful. I mean, it's Celine Dion's, she has an epic voice, but kind of sappy. And then I was really listening to the lyrics and it's all actually in the past tense, because you loved me. I'm everything I am because you loved me. And I was thinking about then all of the people, at first I was thinking about my mom. And I have decided that this year for Mother's Day, I'm gonna get the lyrics to that song and write it out for her and frame it and have that be her Mother's Day gift. So if you know my mom, or if you are my mom, <laughs> Forget about that I'm doing that so that she doesn't know. You know, but I was thinking about all of the people in my life who I am because they loved me. And I was thinking about people who are in my life now and people who aren't in my life now. And that brings me actually right to our guest for today because I had known Dr. Regina Lark casually, sort of, you know, like I knew people who knew her and we'd sort of been at things together but we didn't actually know each other. And so we decided that we were going to get to know each other. And she said to me, I think we should be friends. <laughs> and I thought, and I said to her, like, that's so awesome. And I love it. A, yes, absolutely. Let's be friends. And B, I don't know about y'all, but like, I don't do that very much anymore as a grown up. Mm. I did that a lot as a child. Yeah. Right. And like, that's, we have that instinct, that knowing that we need a tribe, that we need people, that we need cheerleaders, that we need a squad, that we need people who we get to be who we are and more of who we are because they love us. Nice. So I want to tell you a little bit about Regina, and then I want to bring her in. You can hear her chatting a little bit in the background <laughs> already. So you're getting a feeling of who she is. Dr. Regina Lark founded A Clear Path back in 2008, and it is a professional organizing and productivity organization. She is a featured speaker and educator on issues ranging from productivity, hoarding, and women's leadership. She's a specialist in boomer and senior downsizing, residential organizing, and life transitions. In October 2021, Regina published her third book, Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done, <laughs> and What to Do About It. For fun, <laughs> she plays golf and tennis and writes goofy songs about clutter. 
Like when you hear that, she writes goofy songs about clutter. Don't you immediately feel jealous of me that I get to be her friend? <laughs> like how awesome is that? Welcome to the show, Regina. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> you are welcome. Thank you. So I want to start the way that I start with most of our guests, which is what is something that you are paying attention to that you have noticed other people aren't paying as much attention to that thing, either intentionally or unintentionally. And what is the cost of that inattention? <sighs> ah. This morning, I read an article by one of my hero thought leaders, Gemma Hartley. Mm. And she had a piece in the Huffington Post. And the title of the article was something like, women don't deserve wine. We deserve more than that. <laughs> and the beginning of the article she describes what it was like during the pandemic and it very transparent and mm -hmm. admitting to major wine consumption. Yes. Starting earlier and earlier. Mm, earlier in the day. Yes. And, uh -huh. then, and then groups of women getting together, finishing a few bottles without batting an eye. Uh-huh. And with that lament, well, we deserve this. Yeah. We deserve this downtime. We deserve this time with each other. We deserve the wine time. And just a side note, I take walks regularly in my neighborhood mm -hmm. and one house always has a seasonal flag hanging outside. And when it's not a season, the flag is wine a bit. You'll feel better with a glass. And <laughs> so what Hartley's article points out, and it's what I think about a lot, is are the ways in which we still, modern society here in the United States continues to not have any good plan for ameliorating the weight of the workload on the shoulders of American women. And it's devastating. And there are so many ways in which corporate America can stand up and stand out in providing everything from flex time that is no longer, you know, corporate America entered our living rooms during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Flex time took on a whole new meaning. <laughs> right. Work from home, which was usually a pejorative. <laughs> right. Women right. wanted to do that is now an acronym. Right. So, and all of that had to do with a lack of a social structure to, to deal with the ubiquitous and the huge amount of caregiving that goes on in every household, mm -hmm. mostly by women, the majority by women. So that's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> and Jenna's article today confirmed that we should all still be thinking about this and talking about it and doing something about it. And you point to so many different things in mm -hmm. that, which again, is one of the reasons that I am falling completely in love with you. So you have such a big brain, which is one of my favorite things in humans, and it goes in so many different directions. And yes. so towards the end of last year, 2021, I was on a call with someone who is a brilliant executive coach. And I was talking about how I was looking forward to vacation. So this would have been early September of 2021. I was looking forward to vacation and I hadn't had a vacation in so long and na, 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 na. And like how great I was going to be when I got back from <laughs> vacation. Like it was going to be this miracle drug. And he said to me, all right, I think you've got a little bit of miracle thinking going on here about the transformation that vacation is going to create. <laughs> and what if you figured out ways to get a little bit of vacation every week? Ooh, nice. Right? And he told me that he takes off Tuesday, well, he blocks out in his calendar, Tuesday and Thursday afternoons and goes flying a kite, which I thought on so many levels was so great. 
and blocking out little periods. It takes like two hours each Tuesday and Thursday. And I've tried to do that, blocking out little periods of time. It hasn't worked for me. And my happy place is the beach. Mm. It is the place that rejuvenates me. You see right there over my shoulder, there's a picture, a painting of the beach right up here. There's a wave over there. There's a wave (laughs) over there is the Arctic Sea. So like the ocean is my water source. Water and water in motion is my source for all. And I am blessed to live in Southern California. I can drive about an hour, 21 miles, but it takes about an hour to the beach. Yeah. And so I started blocking out in my calendar every Thursday from nine to two to go to the beach. And I'm not successful in protecting that time every week. And come hell or high water, at least once a month, I get to the beach. Okay. So yesterday was my first time in 2021. And as you're listening to this, we're deeper in 2021, but the actual date today is January 28th, 2022. So it was my first time to the beach and I only had 50 minutes to be at the beach and it was great. And there were children playing and there were dogs running around and it was a multi-ethnic experience and it fed my soul. And I don't tell very many people that I'm doing that. Nice, smart. (laughs) Well, right. But also the other reason is because I feel like I'm being kind of naughty. (laughs) And that feels good, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, right. Being a little bit naughty sometimes. But like that I am taking whatever that is, five hours out of the work week and going to the beach feels indulgent. It feels, which is a good word, but it feels like I'm playing hooky. It feels like I'm not paying attention to the things I'm supposed to be paying attention to, that I'm being a bad girl. And so I'm bringing this up now, A, because I want to give us all permission to figure out what are the things that feed our souls and take time, whether it's in our workday, on our weekends, however that works for you, taking time for those things, whether it's people, making time for those people. And because of what you're pointing to, Regina, This emotional labor, because obviously we all know, we who are women and those of you who are men, I bet you know too, you know, women are doing the lion's share of the work still in the home, but we are also doing the emotional labor. We're doing the worrying. We're doing the putting things back together. We're doing the anticipation. We're doing the emotional work. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about, you know, from your brilliance, what is the emotional work that we're doing? And what's the impact of that on us that we may not be aware of? Janine, I really like the way you frame this. Hmm. Because your comments about guilt, Mm -hmm. prioritization, Mm -hmm. you have the ability. Yes, I do. I own my own business. I can do whatever the hell I want. Which leads me to comment on your feelings that you're not getting to your list. When you said that, my first thought was, isn't she self-employed? Isn't this a self-imposed list? So there's that. Yes. And what a privilege that is. Absolutely. How do we take advantage of our privilege in that regard? And you also talk, and then the guilt part. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of an anomaly among a lot of my entrepreneurial friends as women. I think if you're self-employed, every day is Friday. Every day is Saturday. (laughs) Every day is Sunday. It's what you make of each day. Right. And so... I build in 
my walks. I'm an avid walker, mm-hmm. the forest gump of Mar Vista. <laughs> you know, I just so the reason I do it so well and successfully is it's in my calendar, right? Yeah, it is, and I have it plugged in all week. So maybe here's one suggestion: we talk about emotional labor. Maybe plugging it in twice a week to guarantee you'll hit one. Mm. Just a thought. Oh, yeah. I'll pad my calendar with additional walks to put a hole in my calendar to hold for something. You know, I, people are like you and me, they're going to our calendars and making appointments. We send them the link. Sometimes I'll put in a walk just as a placeholder for breathing room for me. Yep. So that's a thought. What is emotional labor? Emotional labor is invisible. Mm -hmm. It is unwritten. Mm -hmm. No job description per se. (laughs) Right. But it's the longest job description in history, right? <laughs> All right? It's unwaged. It certainly is. It's work that I believe is supremely undervalued and yet hugely valuable mm-hmm. to the well-being of our society, of culture, of family systems. Yep. Huge value to it. So what is it? It's noticing that there's no catch-up. It's noticing the emotional temperature of the family every day. It's noticing what work needs to be done in the household. It's noticing that we may be in January, but if I'm in a partnership with an intimate, then Valentine's Day, it's noticing that there's (laughs) a holiday coming up. And is that holiday germane to your relationship? Right. And if it's germane to your relationship, is it germane to your intimates or extended family members? Mm -hmm. So it's the chronic nature of thinking about other people, thinking about how to uplift and elevate those we love. And this is wonderful. We all need that sense of love and safety and that our needs, that somebody is recognizing my needs. Hmm. And And yet, and yet, (laughs) (laughs) what is so interesting, and yet the work of emotional labor, even though it falls on the shoulders of women, like a giant set of shoulder pads, Hmm. right? The work inherently is not gendered, right? The work is thoughtful. The work requires you to have a good relationship with time because mm. if you're anticipating Valentine's Day right. or summer plans right, or how we're going to do a family gathering under COVID, I mean, mm-hmm. all of this also requires not only thought and heart, but good time management skills, being able to emotionally manage, well, we're going to be okay if this family member can't come because they're not that, whatever it is, it's mm-hmm. having emotional management around decisions and planning and thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. It doesn't require a vagina. <laughs> it requires a functioning executive function. And yet the work of emotional labor falls under the category of women's work. Uh-huh. In fact, if I were to survey every culture on the planet and I asked each group, what comes to mind when I say the words men's work? Mm. And what comes to mind when I say the words women's work? And your listeners are already making uh-huh. those connections. And I guarantee that under the rubric of men's work, there's really nothing to do with the domestic sphere. Yeah. Or the family sphere for most. You bet. You know, and we actually have listeners in 18 countries. So we are an international (laughs) podcast. Yes. And so wherever you're listening, whatever, you know, if you're listening on iTunes or if you're listening on Spotify or iHeart or wherever you get us, if there is a way to communicate back with us, and if there's not, there's our social media channels, please reach out to us, both Regina and me. We're very curious. You know, what do you think of when you think of men's work? And what do you think of when you think of women's work? 
I know for your book, you in fact did do some research in, in other countries. And with our listeners in 18 countries, we would love to hear both from all of y'all here in the US, but also from folks around the world. What do you think of when yeah. you hear that? I love that question. Yeah. And what's so the cost? What is the cost? Oh my gosh. So here's a question that I submit to folks. Identify what's happening in the household. So if you're an adult living with an adult, opposite sex, same sex, whoever you're living with, go into separate rooms and write down all the things that you do for the uplift and elevate of the household. Everything that has to do with household management, write it down, compare notes. We're going to see that the females list is way longer. By and large, generally speaking, this is not an exact science. <laughs> Gotta cover all my bases. But the list will tend to be way longer. And if you were to ask her at what cost of this list, mm-hmm. we would hear everything from, I'm not working out enough. I don't get to the gym. I'm not getting to my sacred space at the beach. My hair is falling out. I hear that a lot uh-huh. because yeah. of the anxiety of trying to get it all done. There's depression. There is not feeling like you have time to buy, you know, update your underwear. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's all of that. It's, mm-hmm. it's putting you on the back burner in favor of nurturing these relationships in your life. Mm-hmm. I get that. You know, mm-hmm. we're told that the work is a labor of love. Yeah, it takes love, but it takes a lot of cognitive and emotional and time management. Right. So the cost is usually to emotional well-being. It's the cost to, you know, if you don't start paying attention to the imbalance in your household, there's no statistic that I've seen yet on how divorce is related to emotional labor. But through my research, I met this great guy named Matthew Frey. He's in Ohio. And for two years after his wife got divorced, he was real pissed off. And he just believe that she left him because he left the cup on the counter one too many times until he had to come to mat meeting. (laughs) He came to recognize, and he's got a book coming out this spring on this. He coaches men to not get divorced. Wow. Really quite something. But what he came to understand is there are these ways in which your spouse will approach you and is about to complain about something. Uh And so you are either going to say, oh, it didn't happen that way at all. (laughs) Or why are you making such a big deal out of it? Mm -hmm. Or trying to explain why you took that stand. And all three of those completely devalue and discount how she's feeling about all of this. Mm -hmm. You don't have the right to complain. Why are you complaining so much? And here's why I did what I did for your own. (laughs) These are not asshole men. These are really good guys. But because of the ways in which we continue to raise boys into men and girls into women, Mm -hmm with the same trope right about women's work yep i read this fantastic book written by a woman in 1915 so oh. 107 years ago uh-huh and it's christina fredericks and she decided that she was so frustrated that she didn't have any gal pal time uh-huh 1915 <laughs> where are all my girlfriends how come we're not knitting and having tea or taking walks and And it was because of the drudgery of the household. And she created a career. She created a professional life over constructing household management programs to make things more streamlined and efficient at home so (laughs) a woman can have some downtime. So this is not new stuff. (laughs) Yeah, this is not new stuff. And I'm very curious, how does this play out in same-sex households, (laughs) either among women or among men? What do you know from all your research about that? Well... I love telling cisgender women Uh that 
And wait, let's define that word because that's not a word that everybody knows. What does cisgender mean? Cisgender women are women, biologically born women. Thank you. We have a term transgender, right? And transgender is somebody that is, is moving in the direction of altering gender from how they were biologically born. Mm-hmm. So transgender, cisgender man, cisgender women, it keeps the languaging similar. So nobody stands out per se. I love that. Great. Much Thank you. So I love telling another form would be straight women right? Uh, <laughs> that gay men know how to do laundry. <laughs> the, thing about, the thing about same-sex couples, and they do it well, the thing about same-sex couples, when they first begin cohabiting, they have to talk about the division of labor because it's not gendered in their home. There's no set of assumptions about who's going to do what when. It's stunning, Janine. Right? Right? And what's stunning is that, so I am a cisgender straight woman who is married to a man, a cisgender man, and the conversations that we have about division of labor are mostly me complaining about the things that I am doing because I feel that the division of labor is not equitable or fair. And how amazing would it have been if nine years ago, when we first got together, we had a conversation about who's going to do what because there were no assumptions about who was going to do what. Yeah. Like, oh, what what a place to start that would be. So my focus groups, everything I've read, there's one same conversation. And that conversation is finding many ways to ask for help <laughs> without <laughs> pissing the other person off. Uh-huh. So there's that. Yes, so there I see that as an ongoing conversation. Right. And it is applied to every moment that something comes up you got to talk about it again. Mm-hmm. And at some point, the conversation stops mm-hmm. and resentment and frustration and all kinds of things just sort of set in. Divorce could happen, right? If it becomes that untenable. Mm-hmm. But then there's the other kind of ongoing conversation. And that is couples that have the ability or wherewithal to look ahead down the road in what's coming up in the relationship. And how are we going to divide and conquer this one? Because when we're starting out, you know, the earlier conversations are what kind of family traditions do we want to have? How are we going to include other people in our sphere, our Mm -hmm. friend's sphere, our family sphere? How involved do you want to be in the networking I do, you know, the happy hours with my work? I mean, all of the conversations. And then what about when children come? And if you're a same-sex couple, who's going to be inseminated or who's going to determine the surrogate? I mean, there's all of these conversations that are similar in nature, i.e., in discussions about creating an equitable division of labor, mm-hmm. or there's those ongoing conversations that are about, I asked you again. <laughs> so it can go one way or the other. <laughs> right. It's usually better if it can go the first way, sure. news alert. <laughs> and, and the book has, I came up with this idea. You know, I think it's important to talk and talk and talk and talk and just keep talking and keep the lines of communication open. And of course, we don't know what's coming up if, We've never been in that situation. Yeah. As one woman said to me, I had no idea being married was going to be so much work. Um, (laughs) Because we don't really know, know what's coming up. I created what's called the emotional labor life cycle. And it starts out. So who's going to be responsible for remembering the first kiss when and why it happened? (laughs) The date. I'll be accountable for that. (laughs) (laughs) And then what's coming up in terms of dating and then engagement and then marriage and then starting families Two, who's going to deal with our elder parents. Yeah. 
Are you going to do yours and I'm going to do mine? And so it's anticipating all of these conversations that are going to have to happen. Mm-hmm. So when couples, when the book is in your hand, you can go to the emotional labor life cycle and go, we are here. Mm-hmm. What's coming up for us in this part of our life transition, of our life cycle? Right. Yeah. I love it. And the other thing that came up for me when you were talking, back to that vacation that happened in September of 2021. I was with my cousin, who is one of the great loves of my life. And we were on the North Carolina coast. And I had a call with a father and a son who were in a place of crisis. And I thought it was going to be a quick call. So I took it on the beach. And so I'm walking back and forth on the beach. And my cousin is reading her book and listening and doing all of the things that she's doing. And it ended up being, I don't know, an hour, maybe hour and a half. It was a long call. (laughs) (laughs) How long was it? (laughs) And I got off the call and I said to her, Oh my God, I am exhausted. And she said, Of course you are. You were carrying the emotional weight for that conversation. And then within two minutes, I was talking with the dad and he was saying, Oh my God, I feel so great. I feel so energized. I was like, Oh my God, I feel so exhausted. And so that dichotomy has stuck with me. And I am not sure if my cousin weren't there to say, of course, you feel exhausted. You were carrying the emotional weight that I would have had any idea why I was so exhausted after that conversation. And so I want to lay that out for you to sort of pull that apart a little bit and how, you know, what that emotional labor and how we can put ourselves back together again after that kind of emotional exhaustion. Janine, if you were to look at how the conversation started, where did you dip into that caretaking role or that, where do you see you dip down into emotional labor? Like, can you identify when that happened? Really quickly, because the son was in a very difficult place and the dad was not yet understanding what the impact of that was on the son. And so I was holding space for the son and understanding where he was. And I was holding space for the dad to get to that place of understanding. So yeah, (laughs) it happened very fast, which my hunch is that's often how it goes. It's just sort of like, boom, we're in it, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, you walked into it. I did. And you may have experience with them. Yes. And you may not have many boundaries around it. Hmm. Boundaries. The B word. Uh-huh, the B word. Yes. <laughs> mm. Well, the great word, boundaries are awesome and something with which I struggle and something with which I know many folk, more people with vaginas than, than those without. But, you know, I'm working with a client right now, a man who owns a construction company. So, you know, a very manly man who really struggles with boundaries. So this is not exclusively something that lives in the female domain. And it is something with which lots of women, definitely including me, struggle with. Yes. Hey, look, I'm, if I know that I'm about to get on a call with somebody that's going to require some heavy lifting on my part, uh-huh. again, the heavy lifting is value. It's valuable. It's important that we do that, that we step yep. up and we step in and we acknowledge and we validate and all of that. But I also, you know, say I got like 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I need to create something. And I'm not a jerk. 
if no, in you 20 minutes I'm hearing, you know, something that if there's a new part, you know, whatever it is, right. I can lend myself to more time, but right. at the onset, I have to be able to provide my boundary for all of those reasons. So I'm mm-hmm. not sucked into feeling bad as well. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take that on. Right. I notice so often since I've been doing this work where I do take on the emotional labor yep. and I'm cognizant of saying, oh, I'm trying to think of what the most recent thing was. I'm really going to have to start paying attention because I said to the person, I don't want to take on the emotional labor of what you're laying out to me right now. Uh-huh. And it was in a capacity of, it wasn't somebody that was in a big struggle, right? I can't really remember what that particular thing was because I'm finding that I'm saying it a lot. Huh. Um, but it's true. I'm seeing how I'm refusing to take it on. Uh-huh. And I... And creating a healthy boundary for yourself. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hear it. <laughs> and so... I love that. And I love, you know, creating those boundaries up front. And if we know, if we can anticipate, if we don't know, if we don't, if we can't anticipate, or if we do know, and then we violate our own boundaries, queen of that universe, working on it, (laughs) knowing that this is an opportunity for growth and development for myself when we slip, because we are all on the journey of practicing being human. So when we slip and when we realize like, oh my God, that was a lot. Oops. I am exhausted. <laughs> <Right>. Oops. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> what brilliant tips or ideas do you have around ways that then we can nurture ourselves back to whole? Create your own feminist consciousness raising group. <laughs> it was so funny. When I was- this ad brought to you by the 1970s. <laughs> I mean, you know, what's old is new. In the 1960s, Betty Friedan wrote The Feminine Mystique and presented to us the problem with no name. The 21st century problem with no name is emotional labor. Wait. All right. That's a big one. So let's just sit with that for a minute. In the 1960s, Betty Friedan presented us with the feminine mystique, which was a problem with no name. And the problem with no name in this century is emotional labor. I believe that. All right. Now, please continue. That was a big one. And that just needed a little space to breathe there. So thank you. So Janine, what happens after the feminine mystique is published and it was a bestseller for a decade or more, Mm -hmm. bringing us into the late sixties and 1970s introduction of the feminist consciousness raising or CR Uh consciousness raising made the personal, very political. Mm -hmm. It was women talking to other women about everything Mm -hmm. from rape and abortion to the drudgery of homemaking, to anxiety and frustration of not using your college degree Mm. as you are now wiping snotty noses. (laughs) And it was talking about it and it was unpacking it and discovering it and learning and feeling not alone, Mm -hmm. naming it, claiming it and dumping it and offering solutions. We need that today. We need, so when I'm doing the focus groups, one woman in the focus group said, hey, this shouldn't turn into a bitch session. (laughs) And it stopped everyone cold. Because it was like, oh, is that what we're doing? And it broke my heart Uh just a little because I thought, no, we have to talk about this. Yeah. We have to understand that this is a moral issue, a financial issue, an ethical issue, an equity issue, an access issue. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think one of the biggest things we can do is to talk with each other 
and begin to come up with best practices for outsourcing that which is making us mental. Mm -hmm. I have a coaching client. I coach ADHD, folks with ADHD, Mm. women. And I said, Elaine, if you could outsource one thing, like, because she's starting this fabulous new job, Mm. what really do you hate the most? (laughs) Uh. She goes, but I can't outsource. I said, yes. So your homework assignment is to find two or three places to outsource laundry. I said, it's going to change your world. But when women get together, I said, go to mom's groups on Facebook, you know, talk to the women that you're in touch with. So again, that's part of the dialogue. That's part of the conversation. And then get the book. (laughs) Because the dialogues, it's how to talk to, how to bring the topic up, how to have gentle conversations about it. Because you've been having conversations about the cup on the countertop for years. Right. And the, and cup the problem is, is actually not the cup on the countertop. Never the cup on the countertop. Right. Right, Janine. It's never okay. the cup on the countertop. It's feeling valuable. Yep. It's feeling supported. It's the cup on the countertop serves as a metaphor for you feeling invalidated and that mm-hmm. your feelings aren't valid. And it's a lot of those things. So I am a member of a very robust networking group and a component of the group are women's affinity groups, like a special interest group, a women's uh-huh. affinity group. And because of my background, my PhD is women's history mm-hmm. and living and breathing women for decades. <laughs> you know, uh, it doesn't occur. I've always been in women's space for a really long time and, mm-hmm. and I just revel in it. And I am always so curious when I hear women marvel, like, ah, I love being with all these women because that's not a favorite pastime of theirs. That's not something that they're used to. Mm-hmm. especially if they're in corporate spaces that are male dominated or they right. just feel isolated in other ways. I always hear for women in women's groups, just they get, ah, there's a sigh of relief. You know, I'm with my people. So <laughs> creating those stronger connections with each other so yeah. that we can have the conversations with the other adult in the household about what's really going on and, you know, moving away from the language of getting help for a certain task and taking ownership of certain tasks. I mean, we have a chapter in the book called My Husband, He Helps. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I love this conversation. And I could talk to you forever, but, you know, probably our listeners don't have entirely forever to talk with us. So I think where I would like to land today, I have a friend who, if you don't know her, Regina, I'm going to introduce you. Her name is Carla and she's brilliant. And towards the end of the year last year, probably like many of us, two years into COVID, she was feeling lonely. Mm. She is also an entrepreneur, a business owner. She has a company that I think they've got five or six employees now. And she's growing this business and she's smart and she's beautiful. And people look at her and they think, man, she's got it all together. (laughs) And because she's got it all together, she needs no help. She needs no support. And so she decided to get together a group of women who she thinks of in exactly that way. These are smart, kick-ass women, all either have their own businesses or are executive directors or CEOs of businesses. And they're the kind of people that you look at and you think, she doesn't need any help or support. And bam, we need help and support. And so (laughs) she asked 10 of us to get together on December 18th. Nice. Now, like we are also very busy women who have things going on. December 18, end of the year, holidays, da 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 da. Every single one of us who she invited to be there was in fact there. And telling. Right? Yeah. 
telling. Yeah, that's very telling. And so whatever it is that we are up to, whatever it is that you out there are up to, I, you, we cannot do it alone. We need a tribe. We need a squad. We need friends. We need to be able to say to people, hey, you want to be my friend? We need to say, I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling like I need people who see me, really see me. And I love you and I'd love you to be one of those people. That invitation, like who would say no to that? And so if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling unseen, if you're feeling like, yeah, I'm doing more of this emotional labor stuff, A, go get the book. And there will be a link in the show notes to where you can find the book. I, myself, here's my copy of the book. It's brilliant, of course, as you are hearing from Regina, how could it be anything other than brilliant? But create a squad, create a group, create a women's consciousness raising 2022 group. Find your people, find your cheerleaders. Nice. In the 1990s, it was called Stitch and Bitch. (laughs) I never heard that. So we- A bunch of women quilters, yes. Quilting and knitting and crocheting, and it was just a (laughs) free-for-all. I love it. I keep thinking about knitting. Yeah. So, you know, create a knitting group and have it be people that you really want to connect with. Yeah. So I'm going to end where I started friendship. This is what it's about. And this is what helps us figure out how to navigate this interesting path that we're all on together. Regina, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your wisdom. I am Janine Hammer-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Mm -hmm. Remember, Great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I need a political science degree to get a grip on my